Hello and welcome to Bend the Knee, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Matt the Bud Knight. And I am Sir Jimmy of House Nuts, leader of the Swole Army. Welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club. Today we are into A Storm of Swords Aria 5. How are, how are you doing, Matt? You doing all right today? Dude, I am doing good, man. You and I were just talking about, started uploading all, like clips from our podcast on TikTok and YouTube and Instagram. And man, are we getting a lot more comments and interactions? It's great being told we're morons and know nothing about the series. Um, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's obviously fun. A lot of people out there don't think the books are ever coming out again. There's also a lot of positive comments over there as well. And people asking us a lot more questions to expand on things. And again, you also get to realize kind of what this podcast was originally created for is we're kind of a bridge, I think. And I think this has always been our listener base. And we have people from all sorts of the spectrum, people who've only watched the show, people who have are diehards in the books. And we get those comments too, of like, why, why do you guys still talk about the show? But uh, I mean, the more I dive into like the data of our show, the more it appears to me that the majority of our listeners are people who are hybrid. They read the books and watch the show or the people who only watch the show like who started the show and they just want us to tell them about what's going on and the difference in the books. It's really interesting kind of like doing this new form of content for this show and getting to see a little more like feedback and what people like and where they are. Yeah. I mean, com and competing interest is always something that, that, you know, everyone deals with on a daily basis of like what you want to put your time into. And for a lot of people, you know, the show was a moment in time where they, everyone took a break on Sunday night to sit down and watch a television show and then discuss it on a Monday. And there were people who wanted to continue that, but there was no more show. But they also weren't sure if they wanted to dive into the books. And we were that bridge. We try to be that bridge. Selfishly, I'm, I'm a big reader and I love books, so I'm always trying to get people back in to reading, especially fantasy genre, because the fantasy genre has kind of always been looked down upon by more of the literary snobs, I guess, if I want to use a, you know, a mean term for it. But, you know, people maybe feel silly getting into uh, fantasy as an adult. But I think the the popularity of Game of Thrones shows that there's definitely uh, stories worth telling in the genre and stories that you can get invested in and that can have a pretty big impact uh, on you as well. So my selfish motivation is always to get pure show watchers or people who've only dabbled maybe in one of the books or in the main series to read it all and to get everything they can out of Westeros and George R. R. Martin's works. I, Matt, I encourage people to read George's other stuff too. I mean, I think he's a terrific right. horror writer. Sci-fi is fantastic. Uh, he, he's really a multifaceted author and, and really talented. So I love the fact that we can kind of dabble in everything, <laughs> whether it be the TV show, whether it can be the books. I mean, hell, we've talked about graphic novels on here too before. So for us to be able to kind of welcome in anybody that wants to approach the story that we love from whatever canon universe they want, whether it's television or the books, I'm, I'm glad we're here. And for a lot of people who maybe don't have the time or the interest in reading the books, at least we can kind of tell them what's going on. And maybe one day they'll crack open those pages. I hope. Right. And the, and the, and this world is expanding too. You know, one of the things yeah. as I was putting together a, a TikTok, there was one where you and I were talking about, um Daenerys and it, I think it was from our most recent Daenerys episode we we're talking about Daenerys and Quaith and we were talking about the dreams right the dragon dreams and you actually said a line in there about you know like oh like when Targaryens begin to view look more into their dreams then bad things sort of happen and I was you know pulling some clips and stuff to kind of throw in there to make it you know you make it look cool you're making this TikTok mm -hmm. and actually now 
we have content from house of the dragon too and it's like so even from like uh, doing this creative process of like you know putting in like images and stuff to make it look cool and i'm like oh i can actually cut directly from a shot of like you know here's daenerys you know torching an army of dead people and then uh immediately cut to viserys showing princess rhaenyra the dagger and what that ultimately leads to. So like, but as a, you know, like even while I was doing that, I was kind of thinking about it too. Like looking at those two shots side by side is like, we know like the struggle of not having winds of winter and the very main aware. series, right? Like we're all obviously very aware of that, but at the same time, like it is expanding still, we are getting another season of like, it's in a, it's still in a very healthy place. It's yeah. not like we're, it's not like it's a fandom that, I don't know, you know, has is never going to get like, I'll just use this as an example, like just because, uh, you know, like like Twilight, for example, right, is a is a series that had a handful of books, massive success, like huge, Humongous. ultra, ultra successful things um, where the books and the movies left off. It felt like there was a lot more story that could be told. Nothing. Right. I mean, Harry Potter is getting a new show and obviously they got more movies and, you know, things like that. So there are fandoms that still have things coming down the pipeline even if it feels like a long time has passed since so nothing but like there are also fandoms that are big and certainly were massive that mm -hmm. have nothing coming yeah and i also think the nature of a song of ice and fire leads to some really rich discussions and different point of views of, of how to view certain uh issues in the world uh mm -hmm. or conflicts that are more interpersonal the thing about books and this is just in general is that they read you more than you read them. So when you come back to a series that's as big as this with all these different ideas and traits and you're five years older and you crack up in Game of Thrones, that book can mean something totally different to you and you could see things through a different lens. Maybe you resonate more with the POV, maybe a side character kind of, you know, Twin twinges your interest, right? You're like, okay, what about this? What about Balin Swan? <laughs> I want to know more about Area Hota. Uh, I'm an Area Hota stand clearly, but I think that that is also in the nature of just like there is more. There's always been more, and me and you have read these books many, 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 many times, and even going chapter by chapter, week by week, we still find new things, uh, not only to speculate about, but just to talk about and and to think about what George was trying to accomplish in, in said scenes. So it's always a pleasure to dive back into these uh chapters and with the show expanding also it's it's fun it's good times yeah. i like what we're doing i do too man i'm just it's i'm just i don't you know it's just fun diving into it and this chapter that we're going to get into this week we do have a little bit of news before we get to this chapter but you know this chapter is one that kind of reminds me well it's a shorter chapter it's one that dives into the history and we may get to see this chapter right here may provide mm -hmm. Right for the for Robert's Rebellion and and all of that stuff and that is one of the projects we might see right it's supposed to be a Broadway yeah. it, Robert's Rebellion is supposed to be this Broadway thing so like it's just it's just great because it's just fun you know yeah and, yep. and, and there's so many historical battles and events that we could dive into and speculate on still and uh, and we will today we'll be talking about Battle of the Bells in, in the Aria chapter which is pretty huge. Yeah. So, all right, Jimmy, uh, there's, there's a little bit of news here. I'll, I'll toss it to you. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we just have a couple of tidbits from the HBO universe and I thought it would be fun to talk about. We kind of talked about a night of the seven kingdoms and I was speculating that they really are going to start shooting this spring that maybe we would even see it late 
2024. But from what I have seen online, and again, this could change, they're saying premiere would be late 2025. So actually a whole year after what I thought. So I'm wondering what the shooting schedule looks like, especially if it's only going to be six episodes like we've kind of heard. Uh, but I thought this was interesting. It's a little later than you would have expected, right? Maybe. Um, kind of depends, right? Remember, there was obviously a gap between season seven and season eight of Game of Thrones. But yeah. for most of Game of Thrones schedule, it actually came out like every year, I believe. It mm -hmm. wasn't a two-year gap and it was pretty much always around like april may when it came out and then the jump from season six to season seven was the first time game of thrones was essentially delayed right yeah. and the the delay was simply for the fact that they said uh we're filming a lot more winter shots now and we just need it to be winter to shoot those right yeah, like say. so it was a very like practical reason you know mm -hmm. for it so i mean it could be something as as simple as that um it could also be again some of the time sometimes they have to work around like the schedule of some of the other bigger shows that are coming out because they don't want they you know they they want like a steady flow of of, of content and it's one of the reasons that it actually if you look at remember we talked about like the last of us mm -hmm. it felt like they actually delayed the last of us a little bit because they wanted it to come out later it, because last of us came out in February. I think it was like January, February, um, which would then put it into a different Emmy cycle than house of the dragon. That's what I was going to say. I think that right. Which Emmy sometimes <laughs> exact, exactly. That's the case too, is it's like, I mean, first of all, HBO completely destroys the Emmys. Okay. Yeah. I mean, imagine Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes combined. That's what HB, you know, and Michael Jordan, that's what they essentially do. I mean, they, nobody even comes close to HBO at the, at the Emmys every year. Yeah. So, I mean, they clearly know what they're doing when it comes to it. And I think uh, maybe like that could be something too, where they say, well, if we push it to the end of the year, it ends up helping it in the Emmy Emmys as well. I think it's going to be really good. And of course, that's a good thing because Emmy, if the more Emmys you win, which is the biggest award for that type of a show, the more recognition it gets, the more money it gets, more people tune in. Everyone wants to watch an Emmy award winning show. So, yeah, I think that this is most likely the case. It doesn't have to compete against House of the Dragon for itself. It keeps things not too saturated, which we've talked about. And I've been pretty optimistic, I would say, about the risk of that happening. I think HBO is not dumb. I think that they can learn mm -hmm. lessons from what's happened with Marvel and Star Wars and everything else. And also, I was wondering that maybe if some of the production crew is not going to be a crossover, even in the SFX department and trying to keep things a little bit more consistent and look and feel, there's a chance that working on House of the Dragon into 2024 that they will then pick up, you know, in the following year, kind of like off season type deal, right? Like they're right. not working on certain things for House of the Dragon so they can work on a night at the Seven Kingdoms. Um, I think that that's probably all, you know, tied into this, but this could change. I mean, we, who knows? It right. could end up being mid 2025. It could be early 2026. Right. But and there's other than I said. Yeah. And there's other there's other cast members and stuff too. I know sometimes we think about like the actors when we think about like show production schedules and things like that. But if you look at actually a lot of um like costume people and makeup artists and a lot yeah. of like the uh, a lot of those people work on like a lot of different things. I mean, oh, like sure. you know, and a lot of those people that worked on House of the Dragon when you get into like that sphere of it, the people that actually do like a lot of the work, you know, set design and everything. 
like a lot of those people worked on Game of Thrones or working at House of the Dragon, they'll probably bounce back and forth between mm -hmm. House of the Dragon and um, Night of the Seven Kingdoms. So you have to consider like those people's schedules too, so that they can be doing like perhaps they are like, hey, that way we can do it both people. It's probably cheaper to have like the same person under a big contract do you know multiple things. So you have there's there's all that there's there's a lot of then you know you have the shows that could be coming out afterwards that budgets also right budgets the writer strike like what is the pipeline of content look like and you want to sometimes move some things around like that's one of the reasons uh dune we think got delayed right was um yeah. because of the gap of of big of big movies because of the writer strike i'll be seeing that this friday at oh. three o'clock are yeah. you going to be buying an exclusive dune to popcorn bucket I, I if if not, I'll try to get it secondhand at my local adult shop. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> quite might quite literally be secondhand. You know, <laughs> yikes! Um. <laughs> that has to be the single most absurd. Is yeah, Dune two is Dune two going to be the highest selling, highest grossing movie of all time? Simply because because of, of the, the bucket. bucket. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> folks if you haven't seen the dune tune popcorn bucket you should uh you should go look at it i think uh maybe not <laughs> yeah know? maybe not if not if you might have to turn what is it safe search you know you might, yeah. might have turned, yeah, might have turned that speaking of bad decisions um the other piece of news is is uh david benioff and db weiss come out of their seclusion uh from the world of media they are starting to talk a little bit more and it's because they have the three-body problem coming out is their next big adaptation which by the way, I am excited for. I have to be honest. I love the mm -hmm. love the books, uh, and I also think that they may still be able to adapt something properly. But we'll see. Regardless, seems like they're kind of being a little bit more forthcoming with uh, everything that's happened with the show. And in this little, you know, spurt of news, they said <laughs> that they wanted to end the show. Their original plan to end the show was to end the series with a film trilogy instead of thirteen episodes across two seasons and apparently hbo was like absolutely not we're not putting this in theaters it's a television show so for how bad things ended for the tv show it seems it could have been worse because i think this would have been a horrible idea to end it with movies yeah i don't like this yeah, at all. there's not a, you know it's the only other franchise i can even think of that did something like that where they had actual like in film movies that went along with the content um, that actually affected like X-Files did that X-Files had uh, X-Files had movies like Deadwood theatrical uh, that was like a HB yeah but well, that was it was a little different yeah, yeah. but that, it was like it was like the series ended like a long time before and they're like yeah. that's that 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 didn't come out theatrically so it felt Correct. like a yeah, so I so H X Files is the only one I can think of. I'm sure there's probably more, um, but that was like the Expanse might do this. There's been yeah, the, I think X X Files theatrical movie wasn't like the end of the series. It was like an in between thing. I don't um, remember. Yeah, but it was like I mean it was obviously a big big show. I don't know that it would have worked. Um, yeah, it's it's hard. It, it's hard when you're why would you do that though when you're like the single biggest show in like the history of television the more i hear about these two the more i think they got incredibly lucky 
yeah. Didn't you say they wanted to film it? And well, that's the next piece. That's, okay, the, that's yeah. the next piece of this news. But one thing I just wanted to say is television has different focuses, a lot of focus on dialogue, a lot of focus on how you pace an episode. And then just to assume that the medium that you've been using that has been crazy successful for 10 years and then to be like, but I'm going to end it with the movie trilogy. It just feels like such a weird departure. Like I, I don't I I'm open minded especially when it comes to creative things. Like I, I don't think there's a rule that you shouldn't be able to break at some point in storytelling and whether that's writing or visual mediums or whatever, this just seems like more evidence that they had no idea what they were doing. And I don't see how a trilogy is better than 13 episodes, not to mention they were offered more episodes and declined them. So like they wanted to tell what they told us, but did in a trilogy. And could you imagine have waited like a year or two between the theatrical releases of the, it's just, it's kind of mind boggling. And if someone has a good argument for this, you know, write us because I'm, I'm very curious to see if there's anyone out there that's like, that sounds like a great idea. I think there's maybe a temptation to say, well, what we got was bad. So maybe this couldn't have been any worse, but I actually think it would have been worse. I really do. Yeah. I don't, I don't see how it would have fixed it because there was still, yeah, this is the problem with, George writing the books is yeah. the fact that he has essentially capped himself to I want to finish this series in two in two more books when you look at all the characters and all of the positioning you have to do with yeah. them I mean you and I have literally theorized about this for years mm -hmm. uh, about how he could possibly start killing off characters in order to get to whether a route that the show has gone, which we assume some of those things are going to be the same, like perhaps brand being King, you know, like that seems to be the thing that yeah. George told them is going to be the finale. I mean, where we're at now in the books, it's like, I don't know that you could get there in two books. So how could you possibly get there in three movies? I mean, the battle at Winterfell is literally like an hour and a half. Yeah. That's <laughs> so... what I'm saying. Like, this is just, it's not. It's that's it's, already almost a movie. It's it could be less hours total. Like I just I, I don't know. I guess what I'm just trying to say is, hey, it could have been worse somehow. <laughs> and speaking of worse, uh, apparently executives at AT&T and HBO former the HBO's former owners before Time Warner once asked showrunners David Benioff and D.B. Weiss if Game of Thrones could be shot vertically so viewers could watch the episodes on their phones. The company also openly discussed the idea of snackable mini episodes of the series. Snackable mini episodes as long as they were like extras or something. I don't I'm have a problem a, with this. I'm not. Yeah, the 16 by 9 thing is where you and I differ. Yeah, I think shooting it vertically is a. Matt, Matt, watch, watch. You ready? I'd... Are you ready? Wow. I turned my phone 90 degrees. I differ. Oh, I did. So I'm, oh, I'm not saying everything should be shot in 16 by nine, but I do think there are it, there's advantages to both. Um, And I would point you to go. I mean, this is hard. This is hard because one of these is terrible and the other is infinite, <laughs> is infinitely better. But it's it's really the only example of this I can think of is go watch Justice League and then go watch Zack Snyder's Justice League. And um, because obviously he Justice League, for those of you who don't know, came out. It was freaking awful. Zack Snyder, the guy who did 300, was working on that movie. 
I believe his son or daughter died of suicide. And so ultimately he dropped out of it. And then Joss Whedon came in who did the Avengers and like Firefly and uh, some other things. And, you know, the Avengers, one of the biggest superhero movies. Anyway, he, anyway, he came in, he changed it. AT&T also who owned this property uh, mm -hmm. at the time, DC. Anyway, the movie came out. It was, I mean, God awful. It's one of the worst things you can ever watch. So, fans began pushing for the Snyder cut, uh, you know, because Zack Snyder and Joss Whedon have completely different styles, like mm. very opposing directing styles. Zack Snyder did 300. He makes everything look like a graphic novel. The color filtering is totally different. It's a much darker movie, um, but it's released in a four by three aspect ratio, which is what we all used to watch everything on our square CRT TVs. Yeah. I do believe there is an advantage to four by three versus 16 by nine, which is what we all use now on our widescreen TVs, which is what your phone is when you flip it on the side, as opposed to nine by, or, you know, nine by 16, which is what we now use on our phones vertically. The advantage I, I think is that you get more full frame character photos. Um, so sometimes when you have two people talking, you actually get to see more of their bodies talking to each other as opposed to when you watch a scene of almost any show and you look at this they all do the framing of like behind one person's head and you can see the other person well now it's almost just the head because you mm -hmm. want to zoom in more because you're cropped on like the bottom so i'm actually not opposed to content being filmed vertically because ultimately at the end of the day i think that's where things are going to go because that's how everybody uses their phones now. I actually, I actually think more things will be filmed vertically. I do. <clears throat> so here's my disagreement. I actually think we're headed. We won't be headed that way because I think with AR and vision headsets and things like this, I think okay. our phone will most likely <clears throat> become some sort of. I'm not saying next year, but I think eventually you're you're going to be able to watch a flat screen TV in AR, which you can AR, with the Apple yeah. Vision Pro now. People are sitting on airplanes. With a 70 inch TV in front of them, which is yeah. that, you know, wider right. ratio. I just can't imagine watching like the Battle of the Bastards vertically. Like that sounds awful to me. I just don't. I, I It repulses me a bit because I love home theater. I used to sell home theaters back in the day. I know. And, I, have a, I have a projector. I know. Well, why don't you turn it sideways, Matt? <laughs> well, I <laughs> just turn it sideways. I just I think I think if you just. I think there's just a difference. I think some things look better in different aspect ratios than, than other things. I'm not um, disagreeing with that. I don't think game of Thrones is that though. I don't, it's hard to say because it wasn't, had it, had it, had it been filmed. If you gave us the exact same content, but it was filmed. I mean, you, if you filmed it in a, in a certain perspective, then it would it would look totally different. There's actually people who um, you should look at this. You should go look this up. Maybe I'll see if I can pull one up here. Um, people, there's a there's a YouTube, there's a TikToker uh, that's like pretty big, and other people start doing it too, where they now use the AI to expand to the uh, frame, yeah. the build, and they say if blank was shot vertically, because you know a lot of them, it's like a, you get a shot of like a still camera, um, uh -huh. even though the characters are moving around in in the object, and it and it spaces it out, and it actually looks pretty cool. You lost me at TikToker. You lost me. No, it's. I mean, it's a trend. It's. A, I shouldn't say I it's know, a specific. I, know, I mean, there are people who done it, but there's a. It. It's. It's a trend of 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 people who are doing it, and it does. I feel like it's I'm just. The, it's, I'm the old guy of the of us two. That's like stuck no, in the 
I'm just stuck nah. in my ways. I'm more stuck in my ways because I'm talking about like, you know, old CRT TV aspect ratio. I just I think that I think when it comes when it comes down to it, you could do it. Now, the problem, of course, with this is that you would have said, hey, we want to shoot something that has been on TV yes. for a long time. That's like that's the big problem there. I mean, Not to mention that would that would have at the time. That would have been a massive mistake, but that also sounds very AT&T because the whole reason AT&T bought Warner Brothers was because they said, we want to control a production company because everyone is going to watch things on their phone. Right. Which, which is what wrong. Apple's doing with Apple TV. No, they're not wrong. They were a little ahead of the curve and they didn't do it the right way uh, because if you had AT&T, you bundled in yeah. everything. Um, so like that idea wasn't wrong they were just a little too too ahead of it i think well also like the nature of what game of thrones was of people gathering together and watching in a, in a room you know if you do that vertically i don't know if it works the same but i think this is a symptom of a bigger issue whether or not we could sit here and, and say well maybe it would have worked out maybe it wouldn't have it's the fact that these <laughs> corporations and the executives they they want to interfere with the creative process of people who are already doing something great and they think like there's some middle manager in at&t that was like we got a i got a great idea that's going to make this show even bigger what if we filmed it vertically and it's just like why why are you messing with the sauce the sauce tastes yeah. great quit it well well that well, like AT&T, AT&T's time with Warner Brothers and HBO mm -hmm. is the is the perfect is I mean, is, yeah, is the perfect. Yeah, is the perfect example because you have a movie like Justice League yeah. where they came in and they wanted to micromanage everything because Batman versus Superman, the movie that came up before it, like didn't do as well as they thought. So they went and micromanaged it. But then at the same time, they said, you know what, we're going to do like the Joker and we're going to let that director do whatever they want. So like same thing, same company, same everything. So that's, I guess, like the advantage of HBO is it just seems like they let HBO run their thing, which is why we've talked about like being very nervous about if they were to ever distribute Game oh, of yeah. Thrones out to yeah. other other companies. I mean, it's just, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, another it's like the confidence for HBO is the fact that they turned down that trilogy, by the way, like, yeah, somebody knows what the, what the fuck's going on. Like, I, I just can't. Well, Hey, here's a, well, okay, here, here's an example. And in, in the same time here in the same time frame, HBO, which as we know, great co TV content outside of even game of Thrones, the Sopranos and all that stuff. They, let Warner Brothers make a freaking Sopranos movie that sucked. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that movie yeah, was pretty like, bad. That movie, they have some very strange choices. So they aren't batting, uh, you know, a thousand, a thousand. Yeah. Even when they said, let's do that. Cause that's the only thing that's the only, I guess, thing I could think of is an HBO property that got its own movie. And I don't know how involved, like the original creator and stuff was with that, but man, they did some weird stuff in that movie. But the Deadwood movie was also HBO, and that was very well received. Actually, I think the Deadwood movie led was that to Sopranos. Was the Deadwood movie going to come out in theater, or was it just a? I, I'm was, not. Was it like a? Was it like a COVID thing? I'm was not it, sure, it but it did meant? come out during COVID. Um, but, right. but my point was, is like 
that was that could have went disastrously. I remember people being like, there's a lot of trepidation around it. People were like, oh, no, this is going to be terrible. And it ended up being really good, which, by the way, Deadwood is phenomenal. No, it came out in 2019. So it was literally just meant to be like an HBO really? movie. It's yeah. been that long. I'm so old. I could have sworn I that was during COVID. They did that with a budget of $20 million. That's like right now. That's like less than. Uh... I mean, it's a pretty simple. Show. Yeah, it, it's kind of just like an extended. Yeah. Deadwood episode, which yeah. got Deadwood again. Another HBO. What a show. What, what a show. show. <laughs> like, <it's> like, <laughs> oh, awesome. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, let's get hammering here on the uh, on on the chapter today. Yes. So this is actually sort of a shorter chapter. Uh, so it kind of works out here today. Um, this is Aria five. This is actually really just kind of a retelling of the battle of the bells and a little bit of like history. So Harwin tells Aria about the battle of the bells where her father defeated Lord Connington, uh, Ares, the second Targaryen, the mad Kings hand In a fierce battle fought in the streets of the stony Sept. Robert Baratheon was injured and hiding in the city. When the hands army invaded the town, many credit Robert with the victory, but the King always said that Eddard had won the battle. Arya is disturbed to find Northmen being starved in cages and gives one of them water. They were Karstark men captured by the Mad Huntsmen. The Northmen are guilty of rape and pillaging, and Angai puts them out of their misery. The Brotherhood Without Banner spends the night at the Peach, a brothel. During the night, they hear a commotion and watch as the Mad Huntsman brings somebody as a prisoner into the city chains. Arya recognizes the captive. And who would that captive happen to be? The Hound. Sandor Clegane, uh, which is kind of funny because the Mad Huntsman has the pack of dogs in the correct. Hat. Yes, so it's kind of, it's kind of you know that's George being cheeky. I think. Um, yeah, this chapter is very important for the sole fact that it shows off a lot of the nuances of war, uh, and we know that there are no we, we're cheering for the North. I mean, most people I think are cheering for the North in this book. But we hear of deeds that they're doing that are less than worthy of praise, right? We're talking about the Northern are guilty of rape and pillaging, uh, and then they're being put to death. So in this time of war, there are immoral things happening on both sides. Uh, now, whether or not the overall cause for the North is one that we support, I think it is, but it just shows you how terrible this is. And I think it also is supposed to make us feel a little bit more for the brotherhood without banners and understand their positioning in the war as well. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I think when we look at the brotherhood without banners, because they end up going right with lady Stoneheart, And I think then when we see them, you know, later, it kind of feels they they kind of feel like a group that, sets out with a good idea and a good intention and then gets kind of dissuaded al along the way. But I think this chapter actually does a good job of kind of showing some of them in, in a good light. Yeah, definitely. And the brotherhood without banners. I mean, if you think about their end game and, and what, where do they go from here? There's almost no way it ends well, right? <laughs> They're stuck between two armies on King's orders that he's dead. Right. And the hand of Eddard. Right. And he's dead. So they're they're lost in limbo. And I just I don't know. I love the Brotherhood Without Banners. They're they're one of my favorite groups in the book. I fully support them. I know Ez was a huge fan of the yeah. Brotherhood Without Banners back in the day. And uh, I think he passed on a lot of that passion to me because every time they're on page, I just love reading about them because they're complex. You know, 
Yeah. Um, there's a few things I wanted to get pulled up here. I, I just had like 80 million tabs open here. So I was like trying to find something uh, and I, I found it here. And that is, uh, there's a, there's a person mentioned in this, in this chapter, um, that kind of ties into like a bigger kind of theory or whatever. And that is a character named Tansy. Yes. Who works at this brothel. So like the chapter starts and we get the, we get the story of, Right, the the Battle of the Bells. It's actually quite short, um, to be honest. So I'll, I'll read just a little bit of it here. Um, so the Mad King's men had been hunting Robert, trying to catch him before he could rejoin your father. He told her as they rode towards the gate. He was wounded, being tended by some friends. When Lord Connington, the Hand, took the town with a mighty force and started searching house by house. Before they could find him, though, Lord Eddard and your grandfather came down on the town and stormed the walls. Lord Connington fought back fierce. They battled in the streets and alleys, even on the rooftops, and all the septums ring their bells so the small folk would know to lock their doors. Robert came out of hiding to join the the fight when the bells began to ring he slew six men that day they say one was miles mooton a famous knight who'd been prince Rhaegar's squire he would have slain the hand too but the battle never brought them together connington wounded your grandfather tully sore uh, though and killed sir dennis aaron the darling of the veil but when he saw the day was lost he flew off as fast as the griffins on his shield the battle of the bells they called it robert always said your fa your father won it not him um so a, a few things there, and I'm going to tie it in here is one, this is like an epic masterclass by George Martin. Okay. <laughs> because I, I, I might be mistaken, but I believe this is the first time jo John Connington is mentioned. I if not, like if not the first, it's one of, it's certainly one of it's, the first. it's an early reference. I feel like Connington was mentioned earlier in, in earlier books, maybe by like in a conversation Right. But I think you can I see his right. I think you can, I believe you can see probably his writing process where this is a character he's at the time, you know, this is book three and we know that the next two books were really supposed to be one. Right. So you can kind of see him fleshing out John Connington a little bit here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's, let's have this guy at a battle. Let's have him lose, but live. Cause I have a piece for him later. Now Connington may could have at this point been like killed off. George could have, killed him off and then oddly he's he's saved you know it from the writing process i think when you think about it he's like no i'm gonna save this guy and then later brings him in and yeah. has him as a has a as a point of view character yes and and this is how this story has grown on george over time right and i do think that these are breadcrumbs because he knew that he was going to serve a pretty big purpose later in the story it looks like he was mentioned in the clash of kings Tyrion tells okay. peter baelish that john connington was one of the re two recent hands who died landless and penniless in exile and then in a storm of swords actually right before this barrison stelmy talks about uh john connington to being rhaegar's best friend and like brother basically to daenerys and Jamie Lannister recalls that John was one of the series of hands of the king for Ares who served so briefly that he remembers their heraldry better than their faces, which I think is. I so originally, originally he died. Yes, that is kind of right. the story. That's the yeah, story. it's one of the. But yeah, it's one of those things where he's met, like mentioned. So you can even there see George mentioning him. But so here he's brought a character essentially back from the dead and saved him. So this might be like a moment creatively as I love to look at, you know, like that yeah. as well as one of the things we do when we, we discuss things week to week 
is look at some of these characters and you can kind of think of like George Kratos process of like, no, nah, maybe I'll actually save that guy. And like, he makes mistakes too. I mean, right. John Connington is listed in the appendix of Dance of Dragons as a former uh, like Lord of Storm's End when it was supposed to be mm -hmm. Lord of Griffin's Bruce. That's like one of the famous mistakes that George made in the books. All right. So I think that things come and go in George's right. creative process. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so yeah, they have that too. But in that passage of the story being told, we are also given uh, this thing where it says, Connington wounded your grandfather Tully. So like the idea of Hoster Tully gets brought up and then later, we go to this brothel where we meet a character named Tansy. It's just one of the things George does. He always loves to bring in to somehow like mention a person who then will later mm -hmm. tie into like a theory, which is why these theories get created. Cause he does, he does that. He always does this in his proximity. Yes. It's like he tries to hint at things. So we meet this character named Tansy, who's basically just this woman at this uh, brothel right it's certainly you know it's like a big red herring right you know mm -hmm. it's one of the it's one of the first times you can kind of be like oh yeah hoster tully is saying the word tansy on his deathbed right so is this the tansy he's talking about and it may not be like like forcing liza to give up a child i mean that's where you could kind of come in and you know like family duty or honor it's it's interesting it be, that it, it could be, it, I mean, it, it, it's one of the things that I think causes it to be a theory and less and not a fact. Yes. I mean, uh, the thing about Tansy is that there's an innkeeper, there's an orphan girl at the crossroads, right? And then Tansy is also a plant that is used in uh, moon tea that causes abortion. Yeah. So it, it's almost like George is giving us three things and being like, Choose your own adventure. Pick which one yet you would like. And that's to. all. And that's all you're ever going to get. That's right. And that's why I love it. I mean, I've always subscribed to Tansy being the moon tea because I feel like it's a really good misdirection of us being like, who is Tansy when we should be asking, what is Tansy? Uh, I, I like that twist on the event. But really, you could make a case for all all of them. Yeah, exactly. And that's what he does. And I think that's one of the like this right here is one of the things we should look at when we think about going forward in the series of all the theories we hope we're going to get answers for yeah. in winds of winter and a dream for spring and perhaps other books. If he decides to not try to cap this entire thing into two books is you can look right here at the tansy thing and saying the idea is Hoster Tully saying it on his deathbed. We think it means he caused Liza to have to give up her first child who may have been named Tansy or used the moon tea. Or perhaps he is talking about this brothel woman or some other woman that he slept with, you know, in adultery. And that's what he's doing. And I think that is a good place to look at a lot of the other theories we think might all get answers to is that sometimes George in the series has already done what he will do in these other books, which is give you a few possible answers to a theory. And that's all we're going to get. And you just have to choose on your own. And that's what makes it fun. Yeah, definitely. And that's why the series will probably live a little bit longer than a lot of other contemporary fantasy series. Also having a massive mega million hit, TV show definitely helps right. with that as well. Yeah. But, like, but Lord of the Rings was going to be around regardless of the movies, in my opinion, even though the movies put it to another stratosphere. Uh, but Tolkien also has a lot of legend and myth and and interpretations of what who was what and blue wizards and all types of things. So I think he's kind of following Tolkien and his approach to 
to lore in that way and mystery. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so uh, there's some other things after, so after they get, they finish that story, then they kind of go into this town and they see people like hanging in cages. And I think, you know, with Arya to begin beginning to see one, a couple things happen here. It's, I guess maybe I th- kind of want to view it as like another shift as we keep viewing like the shift in Arya's character mm-hmm. is that I think now she's, now that she's kind of done, she's not totally done, but in a way she's somewhat done of like being scared and being like, she's chased constantly. Mm-hmm. Now she's kind of with a group. She seems like she feels a little more protective. Her character feels a little like not at guard the entire time. And she's beginning to, to kind of form some like opinions of, of things. This is to me, the beginning of the shift, whether or not that, you know, we get the hound at the end who she's next going to journey with. Um, it feels like she's already kind of going down that path herself a little bit. Oh, definitely. And her, her personality and her identity shifts many times throughout this book. I think also like the reality of this is kind of in contrast with what we're going to see at the Red Wedding with a bunch of Northmen doing really awful things. And she's seeing Northmen who have committed crimes that are being put to death and feels a certain way about it. But by the end of the book, she's going to see that her own Northmen who should have been supporting her houses are actually responsible for the slaughter and death of her family. Uh, And Arya, maybe out of everyone, is going to learn the lesson that uh, things are very gray in this world, not black and white, even though she'll be going to the house of black and white, which is interesting. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a good point. So yeah. Uh, so pulled up here, let me pull this up. Um, so as they're walking in and she's beginning to look around right in the market square at the town's heart stood a fountain in the shape of a leaping trout spouting water into a shallow pool. Women were filling pails and flagons there a few feet away. A dozen iron cages hung from creaking wooden post crow cages. Arya knew the crows were mostly outside the cages splashing in the water or perched atop the bars inside were men. Lem, uh, Lem rind up scowling. What's this now? Justice, answered a woman at the fountain. What did you run short of uh, hemp and rope? Was this done at Sir Wilbert's decree, asked Tom. A man laughed bitterly. The lions killed Sir Wilbert a year ago. His sons are all off with the young wolf getting fat in the West. You think they give a damn about the likes of us? It was the Mads Huntsman's caught these wolves wolves aria went cold rob's men and my father's she felt drawn torn the cages the bars allowed so little room the prisoners could neither sit nor turn they stood naked exposed to the sun and wind and rain the first three cages held dead men Uh, crows had eaten out their eyes yet the empty sockets seemed to follow her the fourth man in the row stirred as she passed around his mouth around his mouth he uh, was a ragged beard thick and bloody with flies. They exploded when he spoke, buzzing around his head. Water. He heard the the croak. Please, water. Mm, brutal. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, this is also a, a thing, too, where we're talking about crow cages, and then it feels like the crow's eyes are following her. Any, and what if Brandon... Any- any significance there probably not but for fun (laughs) let's just say maybe brand is looking in on this moment i mean i mean i mean possibly you know that is that is something that i haven't really dove into and should look at 
especially uh, since we know in the show, obviously Arya kills the Night King. You'd feel like she'd be somebody who Melisandre and all these other people would see more. And at the end of the day, regardless, she is certainly some sort of agent of the House of Black and White, but it doesn't feel like any prophecies or anything or, or none of the gods that we have access or ties to in any way ever feel like aria is somebody that they pay attention to outside of like the house of black and white obviously but like it doesn't feel like any of our insight to relore or perhaps mm -hmm. the great other with a three-eyed crow if bran is an agent of the, whatever whatever that thing is going on there none of them ever feel like aria is somebody that they're looking at well, that is it completely congruent with her character. And Arya in the series is one that many people do not pay attention to. And then she kind of does go under the radar, even when people seem to be looking for her to, to capture her or to hold her prisoner or hostage or whatever. That's Arya's character. She's constantly being overlooked and almost mocked in some ways, right? Whenever she wants to learn the sword and her dad's like, no, you're a lady. You learn how to knit. You learn how to do these things. So I think that's consistent with her character. Will she end up having a major moment in the books that will kind of go in the face of her being ignored and, you know, maybe undervalued? I think so. Will she kill the Night King? No, <laughs> probably not. Probably might not. not even be it. There might not even be a Night King. It uh, might not be. Uh, but I, I, I think that Arya in, in many ways is the like true underdog of the story. Hard to not pick Bran because, you yeah, know, his legs don't right. work. Uh, I guess. But, you know, I guess more what I'm saying is, should we view something like that as that the house of black and white, right, is mm -hmm. uh, and is is separate or the other gods is like, is it is it just is it like Relore and the great other are having a war and a battle and all of the other gods kind of do their own thing? Yeah, that's that's a very difficult question. The one thing we can say for sure is the House of Black and White definitely has some of the more on the nose, fantastical elements in the story. So you would have to think that if you're looking at things that have actually been able to perform some sort of like magic, Raw Lore and the House of Black and White are definitely the two that come to mind. So why wouldn't the House of Black and White be on the same level as the Great Other or Relore? Why not? Yeah. Okay, uh, let's continue on here. So again, Arya was looking at all of these cages and beginning to wonder. I have seen some people speculate online that they think that perhaps some of like they're described as some like some very fat people in the cages, that those might be like Manderleys. Well, that's just rude. I, I know, but that's just <laughs> that's just what that's just what they're saying. And this is this is one of these chapters too that um you get a lot of these like this is all like this is one of those like i call it like the side chapter characters yeah. or these side character chapters i should say where you have all these people you can really kind of go through and track where it's like oh you know like sometimes you hear about like a little as we saw you know in that brand chapter a while ago yeah and it's like somebody who's from house little and then you, a name gets mentioned and you kind of have to like piece it together and you know draw your map along the wall you know with yeah. all your string your strings going all over the walls like a crazy person to try and find out who are who are these potential characters this is definitely one of these one of these chapters yeah and you know mad huntsman and uh and gay and guy i always have trouble saying his name and guy uh are two people actually who reoccur later and are part of the rift that happens when lady stoneheart is resurrected in the feast for crows and ones that are following and are not following and uh 
I like that. I kind of like that the Brotherhood without banners get named here. We get a little bit more about them, but they also have their own agency later in the story about whether or not they're going to follow this new leader of Lady Stoneheart or not. Uh, and guy has some interesting trivia, by the way. Uh, and guy who's the archer. He's, he's a fantastic archer. Uh, George R. R. Martin was probably inspired by his father when he wrote about Angai spending 10,000 golden dragons on women and drinking as his father won $10,000 by gambling during World War II. He had a good time with the money, spending it all on women, beer, nightclubs, and the track. So, Gurm's dad, bit of a gambler. There we go. Pretty pretty uh, interesting lore, right? Like I do love that. I do, I do love it, because you can see a lot of his inspiration for characters. I mean, obviously, like... And I'm very curious to see if these characters keep their names in House of the Dragon as like the Tullys during the House of the Dragon era yeah. that are all named after Sesame Street characters. Yeah. Uh, there's like Elmo, Tully, and Kermit, and Oscar, you know, like are they yeah, gonna... and the Boltons are definitely a nod towards Dracula. Right. Uh, and there's an Oaken, there's an Oaken shield. I was, you know, like stuff like mm -hmm. that from Lord of uh, the Hobbit. And yeah. So yeah, very interesting to see like if some of those characters and and you can tell what his inspiration i mean clearly when he's writing about the the tullys during the house of the dragon era he was just like yep we'll just name these after uh after those sesame street characters i guess yeah you know, no one's I, ever gonna buy know. this book <laughs> forget was it. That, was like, it was like a sesame street episode on when he was writing those characters i guess maybe it's possible maybe um another thing that gets kind of named here is i thought this would be kind of cool pull this up uh, another little uh tidbit here is kind of a tie-in to like uh, Lady Stoneheart a little bit mm -hmm. here. So by the time her cup was empty, Arya was yawning. Gendry hadn't come back. Tom Sevenstrings was singing two hearts that beat as one and kissing a different girl at the end of every verse. In the corner by the window, Lem and Harwin sat talking to the red-haired Tansy in low voices. Uh, spent the night in Jamie's cell, she heard the woman say. Her and this other wench, the one who slew Renly. All three of them together, and come for the morn, Lady Catelyn cut him loose for love. She gave a throaty chuckle. You know, it's not true, Arya thought. She never would. She felt sad and angry and lonely all at once. So she's getting a little bit of the story of, oh, Catelyn was the one who let Jamie loose. But I just like that, like cut him loose and then a throaty chuckle. Since we all know that's going to be the deal with Catelyn is like this, the cut throat, right? Yeah, that's brutal, dude. Yeah. So cheeky we have George. very, very cheeky. Uh, so as you or continued throat. on or throaty, there, there you go. So, yeah, it kind of continues on. This chapter kind of continues on a, a little bit here. And we see Gendry come in, and Gendry is kind of, like, upset by a lot of things. I think he's kind of upset when they're talking about, like, the Highborn Lords. And, like, it, seems, it feels like that's something he's getting, you know, up, upset about. Mm -hmm. um, and remember that Gendry's character, I think, from the show and the books, pretty different. Yeah. Um, I, do not, I do not think that Gendry's going to get named the uh, heir to storm's end at the end of this at the end of this whole thing because there's edric storm who's kind of like that character that gendry takes a lot of yeah uh, parts parts from um so uh as this chapter kind of finishes up really and i'll just read some of this last last little bit here again this is a short this is a shorter chapter so Arya set up yawning gendry was stirring on him on her 
left and Lem Lemon Cook snoring on loudly to her right, but the bang outside all but drowned him out. There must be half a hundred dogs out there. She crawled up from under the blankets and hopped over Lem, Tom, and Jack B. Lucky to the window. When she opened the shutters wide, wind and wet and cold all came flooding in together. The day was gray and overcast. Down below in the square, the dogs were barking, running in circles, growling and howling. There was a pack of them, great black mastiffs and leaned wolfhounds and black and white sheepdogs and kinds Arya did not know. Um, between the inn and the fountain, a dozen riders sat astride their horses, watching the townsmen open the fat man's cages and tug his arm at until his swollen corpse spilled out into the ground. The dogs were at him at once, tearing chunks of flesh off his bones. Arya heard one of the riders laugh. Here's your new castle, you bloody Lannister bastard. He said, a little snug for the likes of you, but we'll squeeze you in, never fret. Behind him, a prisoner sat sullen with coils of hemp and rope tight around his wrist. Some of the townsmen were throwing dung at him, but he never flinched. You'll rot in them cages, his captor was shouting. The crows will be picking out your eyes while we were spending all that good Lannister gold of yours. And when them crows are done, we'll send what's left to your to your bloody brother, though I doubt he'll know you. The, no, the noise had broken half the peach. Gendry squeezed into the window besides Arya, and Tom stepped up behind them naked as his name day. What's all this bloody shouting? Let me complain from bed. From, from bed, a man's trying to get some bloody sleep. Where's Greenbeard? Tom asked him. A bed with Tansy, Lem said. Uh, kind of continues on here. Lannister, said Arya. I heard him say Lannister. Have they caught the Kingslayer? Gendry wanted to know. Down in the square, a thrown stone caught the captive on the cheek, turning his head, not the Kingslayer, Arya thought when she saw his face. The gods have heard her prayers after all. Yeah. The hound. Yep. Caught by a hound master. Yeah, so of course you don't know that until the next Arya chapter. Yeah, um, when you have to, so when you have to see who who it is, which actually is kind of a not very George thing to do. Normally he actually would say the Hound there. Like if you really look at the end of a lot of his chapters, a lot of times he kind of gives you he would give you that, but for whatever reason he doesn't decide to do that here. And also remember the Hound's been missing since Clash of Kings. Yes. So this is like a big reemergence of a major character, the one that we could have maybe presumed was going to be off screen for the rest of the, you know, like he's gone. Mm -hmm. But George brings the hound back around. And I think the hound will be back around again in the series if uh, George were to write more books. I, I don't think that he's done with the hound quite yet. No, I very much think the Hound is going to be the Gravedigger, and I think Clegane Bowl is going to happen much earlier. I think Clegane, goals, Clegane Bowl, all right, the big battle between the Hound and the Mountain, is going to be like a trial by combat thing between hmm. Cersei and the Faith. I think the that Faith is. I think the Faith is going to the. Cersei's going to get to choose the Mountain to defend her in trial by combat, which obviously doesn't happen in the show, and it's going to be and they're, they're going to choose the hound so then the faith wins that right yeah probably so then where does the faith go after that uh i think they're going to have cersei's trial they're going to have like they're going to have like they're going to have the trial by combat and they're going to have like cersei's like execution at the uh septa baylor and then cersei just blows it up you think that would yeah. be pretty wild, wouldn't it? I think that I think that's how I think that's how you do it. And I think the game bowl will happen there. The game bowl happening in the. It didn't even matter. <laughs> like it, it, it was it, it was not executed very it, well. It I mean, didn't. It didn't even. It was pretty cool. But it didn't. It didn't even matter because the whole thing blew up. No, it did. It, 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 <laughs> it, it's matter. like, no, nope, no point.
Though whenever Kyburn tries to walk by and the mountain just smashes his head against the wall, it was one of the I can see I can see that. I can see that happen. Yeah, it was pretty sick. To just Kyburn just yeah, it's just killed. But (laughs) yeah, I think the game ball is gonna happen much, much earlier. Yeah, I kind of like that idea. I I like that. And uh, you know, maybe that's something that we should speculate about is like in in one of the future episodes, is kind of like where we see the faith going or even Cersei as a character, because that's one I think is going to be a lot different um, than the show. So yeah, I don't think, I don't think so. We'll have plenty of time for that when we get to feast for crows and she's like the star of the show because she is the best thing in feast for crows by a mile. Yeah. I don't think that uh, winds of winter and dream for spring is going to be shots of only Cersei standing outside of a window, drinking wine, making a million dollars. And Lena Hetty did a great job. She did a a great job. Crushed it. The easiest job in the world, right? right, Good for her. Hey, absolutely. So awesome. All right. Well, hey, with that, guys, want to thank you for playing the Game of Thrones. Our next episode, we will be back with a Storm of Swords, John 4. If you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like us, write a review, leave a comment, or send us a raven at btkcast at gmail.com or bendtheneepodcast.com. We'll see you next time. And remember that winter is coming.